Well, good morning, New Hope. The outline for what Ruth and I want to go through today is just to briefly give a passage from the Old Testament and the New Testament that provides a context, we believe, for all marriages. Um, and then uh, we'll share, uh, in an informal way, some stories or examples through our marriage together. And then we want to end by uh, getting very practical and talk about uh, some things that we think have been important in our relationship. But before we do any of that, we want to give a disclaimer, and uh, I will let Ruth share that. Um, first of all, I'm not comfortable up here. Uh, Jason asked us to do this, and Rick was fine with it, but I wasn't. But, you know. but as you'll see, but not enough to put up a fuss. You know how you kind of decide in life what, where you're going to make your stand and where you're not? I must admit, I kind of thought it would go away, and it didn't. But, um, but you know, I just... You know, we by no means have all the answers or anything else, and I, I certainly don't want you to think that Jason asked us to do it because he thinks that we kind of have it together. Um, so I just want to make sure. I think I'm just nervous that just even being up here trying to represent a Christian marriage, that the whole thing's going to blow up next month. So, um, <laughs> so but anyway, okay. All right, so let's start with a biblical context. And uh, if you have Bibles or you have your iPhone ready, um, go to Genesis 2.18. And uh, I'm reading from the New English Version, uh, or the Standard English Version. Uh, In Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. That word helper, the uh, word in Hebrew that is translated helper, has a very different meaning than we might have in English. I think when you think of helper, you think of someone who is an assistant, someone who is beneath someone else in stature. But in the Hebrew word, uh, it's used, and I forget what the number is, but it's something like 30 or 40 other times in the New Testament. And every other time that it's used, it describes how God completes us, how God in some way fulfills something that we're lacking in. So helper in this context of marriage is not something that sets up a hierarchical relationship, but it's a, uh, a relationship of people who bring things to the table that complete what is missing in the individuals. The one in one is something greater than two. So the second thing, uh, in the New Testament, in Ephesians, In Ephesians 5, let me scroll there, and in verse 20 and 21, um, I'm sorry, 21 and 22, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, often, reference is made to 21 without the context of seeing it in relationship to verse 20. Now, the interesting thing about these two verses is that in verse 22, the literal Greek there is wives to your husband as to the Lord. There is no Greek word there that says submit. But the Greek word that says submit is in verse 21. And in the context of chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul is talking about how important unity is to the success of the body. We, we know that uh, uh, in uh, Ephesians, this was Paul's one letter where he developed a lot of what has become our theology of the church. And in talking about the church, when he gets to chapter 5, he starts talking about how important oneness is. Actually, he starts in 4 and continues in 5. How important oneness or unity is. And he culminates his general discussion of unity in verse 21 by summing it all up by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are a couple of important things there. First of all, the idea of submit is to make the interest of other people more important than your own self-interest. And secondly, he says, out of reverence for Christ, because I think he realizes that in our human condition, separate and apart from the Lord, it's just not natural for us to want to put ourselves under someone else. We'd rather be about our own interest. But the translator, well then I believe what Paul does is go on to give three specific examples of what it looks like for Christians to submit to one another. He starts with the example of husbands and wives, then he talks about uh, parents and uh, children, and then, I forget what the third example is, but... Slave. Slave, master and slave, employment relationship. Right, thank you. But in, in verse 21, that is so important that it's tied to verse 20, Paul didn't, didn't say, wives, submit to your husbands, so that it can be taken out of context and say that a marriage needs to be one where the wife is in an uh, uh, inferior position to the husband. Uh, it is tied indelibly to verse 20, which refers to all Christians. So uh, just like uh, in the relationship that I have with any of you out there, I'll just pick on Ron, with Ron, the idea is in our relationship, I should be submitting to Ron, not because I'm a good guy or I've got some character uh, issues that are superior to anybody else, 
but I should I have to rely on the power that I get from my relationship with Christ okay so that's why I would teach and I realize there are others that would teach differently that the marriage relationship is one of mutual submission not one of submission of the woman only to the man okay so that's the biblical context um, as Ruth and I were thinking about discussing this with you guys uh, we talked for a little bit about what did we think were some of the reasons that we've been able to live a relatively speaking smooth marriage for 37 years I had to remind Ruth last night that we actually had been married 37 years. She thought it was 32 years, which since Rick is 34, you know, there would be a story we'd have to tell there, but uh, it's actually been 37 years that we've been married, and, it, and, and there have been difficulties that we had to endure early in our relationship. Um, I was a workaholic lawyer who uh, did uh, an awful lot of drinking. I don't think I'm an alcoholic but I certainly uh, was more than just a social drinker, and uh, that was in years where uh, Ruth was pregnant with Darcy and Rick was uh, one or two years old, and it really led to a lot of issues, in, including at one point Ruth saying to me, I, she just threw up her hands and said, I've gotta go to Al-Anon. I, I need help, I gotta go to Al-Anon. And that really uh, sort of began to soften my heart to eventually hear the, uh, the gospel while Ruth was still pregnant with Darcy and I came to the Lord and Ruth about five months after that. Uh, but, but we went through that as a difficult thing and I think many of you know um, I suffer from bouts of major depression and uh, generally they last a few months in duration but we've recently been through one that was actually a couple of years in duration and that's been very difficult for Ruth um, and she's had to be the strength of our marriage uh, when I've been going through that so it hasn't been smooth all the time but I think we both agree that the primary reason that we would give to anybody is the grace of God um, we were actually talking to uh, some people last night at a, a party we were at, and there, there happened to be a, a Jewish man there, and he and his wife are going to be celebrating their 25th anniversary, and Ruth said to him, what would you attribute the fact that you've been able to be married to 25? And he said, luck. Uh, and Ruth said, well, that's interesting. Rick and I were talking, and we think the same thing, except we call it the grace of the Lord. Um, <laughs> but, but that would far and above um, be it. We, we both uh, come from uh, families, both of our parents uh, remained married till death, uh, so we had a context. Uh, both of our parents went through some struggles during um, their lives together, but uh, their commitment to one another and their commitment um, that marriage was for a lifetime was something that uh, they stood for it and we saw that and 
That's the grace of God. I also think that we were young and foolish when we got married. I think if you really know, if you really know what you're getting in for, it's scary. But, you know, it was... That was the point Ruth made to this guy last night as well, that she would have never done it if she'd have known what she was in <laughs> for. I don't remember that. But, you know, they're, they're just... It, we were... I was right out... You know, went right from the college dorm to, to getting married. And, um, yeah. yeah, we got married a week after Ruth's college graduation. So we met in college. I was a senior. She was a sophomore. And we got married a week after. And I was still a law student at the time, so uh, we were very young. Um, oh, yeah, so, so Ruth and I, uh, at Grace, used to teach premarital, and there's some things that uh, happened when we did that, and I think Ruth has this one little snippet of uh, what it's like to try to be up here in front of you and talk about marriage. Yeah, this gal, you know, we're doing our little thing in the premarital, and she said, um, well, how long were you guys together before you reached agape love? And I was like, whoa, you know, that, <laughs> we're never going to be there, you know. <laughs> Maybe when we're in heaven we'll get to that stage, but um, it was just like, you got to lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, did you finish this, like, the, the community of friends and family? Uh, another thing that we thought of um, in terms of the grace of the Lord is that we've had a lot of uh, close relationships outside of our families, and um, uh, for the most part, in, in fact, all, all but in one case that I can think of, uh, we've been friends. We've been in the same house church that started at Grace Fellowship over 30 years ago, and we've been in that same house church for 30-some years. I think there are only two families left that still go to Grace, but we kept the house church together, and we have all uh, had the grace of the Lord in that there haven't been any split-ups among it. And our close friends have been friends who have been committed to marriage um, Till death do us part. Yeah, you can vent to somebody, and their answer isn't going to be, "Well, I don't know why you put up with that." You know, you, you I know this lawyer you could talk to. <laughs> yeah, you talk to your girlfriends or whatever, and and you know, there's just not somebody who's quick to say, you know, you don't need this. You know, that's just not an option offered when you're looking for advice or counsel. And I just think that's great. Yeah. Now, Ruth, there are also some stories you've told uh, in those uh, things. We we would talk about expectations that what happens in any relationship is where uh, your expectations are not exactly shared because you haven't told them is, is when you can really get disappointed. And I think part of your expectations come from the environment in which you were raised. So either your parents did things a certain way and you just brought into the marriage that that's the way things had to be, or they did certain things certain ways, and you decided when you get married, you're not gonna do it that way. But, you know, Ruth, uh, like taking out the trash. Well, I just grew up where, in a house where my dad and my brothers did it. My mom never, never touched the garbage. It just, you know, they took it out to the trash can, they took the trash can to and from. So when we first got married, you know, I'm shoving that kitchen garbage down thinking when is Rick gonna take the trash out? 
and then he grew up in a house where his mom did it all. And he would shove something else in there and think, we better get this garbage out. And it was just one of those, you don't, when you're dating, you don't sort of ask, are you the kind of guy that's going to take the trash out? You just assume he's going to. But um, we're, we're still kind of getting there. And well, how about car maintenance? <laughs> car maintenance, my dad was in charge of all that. I had a heavy Chevy Nova. And, her, um, her car that she had when we got married. My first car. And um, yeah, I don't know why. I'm the one that drove it all the time, almost all the time. So I don't know why I assumed he was keeping track of the oil and everything. But he borrowed my car to take a seminary course, I think, up in Pennsylvania. And my car died on 83 because... The engine seized up on 83 south of York. Um, and it was because there was no oil left in the engine. <laughs> I thought he was taking care of it. Um, <laughs> but then one that really was hard was I grew up in Aberdeen where um, on the little block we lived, everybody's father worked for the government. And I didn't realize until I was grown up that sometimes people make fun of government workers because their hours are so regular. And truly, the dads all were home between 4.30 and 4.45. So dinner was at 5, cleaned up, put away by 5.30. So I'm young married, and he's this young lawyer, and I start looking for him at 4.30. And he's trying to explain to me, nobody leaves before 6. And just in my world, that was just unbelievable. I just didn't know anybody that, and I'm sure there are people in Aberdeen that work that long, but just in our little, in the little neighborhood where I grew up, it just was so hard for me. In my mind, he was choosing to stay late at work instead of coming home to me and these two crying babies. But, um, but uh, it, just, it was just one of those assumptions I made, one of those things that I grew up with, that I just thought the whole world was that way. And I was just... <laughs> Got it. So I had this system when Rick and Darcy were infants and we were living in our first little Cape Cod on Royston Avenue in Hamilton, and I was a lawyer downtown, we subscribed to the Sun Paper, and back then in the late 70s, early 80s, the Sun Paper was published twice a day. There was a morning sun, and there was an evening sun, and we got them both. So I would come home. If there were no newspapers in the, in the yard, then I would just go up, open the door, and come in because the world was right. If I came home and only one newspaper was in the yard, I walked up to the door with some trepidation and didn't know what I would see when I opened the door and uh, went in. If both newspapers were still in the yard, I just turned around and drove back to work. <laughs> You know it's a rough day when you cannot even walk out into the yard and pick up a newspaper. So, so the, and the last thing that we wanted to mention... Wait, I need to give you this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ruth has another story, too. <laughs> Just that um, we had this... We moved into a house, and there were these big, prickly weeds growing in the back. And um, I was pulling some, but it was like, come on, gang. You know, you, and I just said, Rick, we need to go get those big, prickly weeds. And he went, well, I don't like to weed. Like, I don't like to weed either, but it needs to get done. And he just grew up in a row house with no yard. And It was all you know, concrete. The only weeds we had grew up between cracks in the sidewalk. 
And so, you know, once again, I don't know what your assumption was, but you just, you know, but how in your dating do you think to ask who's going to do the weeding and, you know, who's going to do whatever? Right. So, so the last thing that we talked about and, and probably the key thing that we'd uh, like to share with you guys is, uh, by the grace of God, early in our marriage, after we had become young believers, uh, we heard about rules for fair fighting. And, and so all relationships, and the closer you are to someone, the more they can hurt you. And so you're going to have disagreements. It's going to lead to confrontation. Uh, you, you have to face conflict. But there are rules for uh, fair fighting. And uh, we don't want to take a long time and go through all of them. But we have prepared a uh, handout if the um, ushers could just pass those out now. James, if you could like, give a few to each. But in general, some of the things that um, we talked about before we did some internet research to give you a little more scholarly background for all of this stuff is that for the most part, when we fight, we don't attack one another personally. So when I don't put out the garbage, Ruth doesn't say, you're so lazy, why don't you just put the garbage out? Instead, in frustration, she'll say, are you going to take the garbage out or not? Um, so she's not making an accusation about my character or my personhood. She's just uh, letting, letting <laughs> me know what she's frustrated with. Um, I, but I did grow up in a family where my parents fought there. I never heard either of my parents call the other one a name. Um, I, did, I think, I mean, we might have heard about it, but I think it was really modeled for me in the home where I grew up. Um, there just was nothing like that. And I grew up in a little bit different circumstance. <laughs> uh, my parents fought a lot, but they fought yelling at one another in front of me, and particularly if they both had been out drinking. I mean. I remember being about seven or eight years old, my mother threw an alarm clock at my father in my bedroom, and the, the clock hit me. Um, so I grew up with a lot of yelling, and I shut down completely if a fight escalates to yelling. Um, so for the most part, when we fight, there isn't a lot of yelling. And also. I go to bed at 9.30 or 10. He can say anything he wants after that, you know, instead of that. <laughs> but we're, it's like, at, it's bedtime, I'm sorry. I know, I know some people like to hash it out and don't go to bed angry, but it's like, mm -mm, I'm too tired. I might say something I shouldn't say. I'm going to bed. So. You want to talk about the keep short accounts? Oh, well, just, if, you know, that you sort of have to stick to the issue. And for us, lots of times, the issue is being on time. And... Uh, but it's real easy to go back to, well, you did this and you did that, and to add on. But to really, when we're, when we're um, at odds over something or trying to make some decision to try and stick to, to what's going on right then. So we, we handed out this little sheet, and I love the cartoon at the bottom where uh, Lucy uh, says to 
Is that Peanuts or Linus? What's his name? That's Linus. Linus. There's nobody named Peanuts. Yeah. Why are you always so anxious to criticize me? And her answer is, I just think I have a knack for seeing other people's faults. And he says, well, what about your own faults? Well, I have a knack for overlooking them. And that reminded me of the fundamental attribution error, um, which is something that I came across in business, but has been something that I've always tried to be aware of, not only in the business world, but in relationships in, in general. And most people come across this in a book by someone named Patrick Lencioni called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I've used that quite a bit in business, but I think it works in a lot of relationship. And I did some follow-up on it. It's based on research that was done by two guys in 1967, and I'm borrowing from someone by the name of Matt McWilliams in stating it this way. We, human beings, blame others' mistakes on personal character or behavioral flaws, while we blame our own mistakes on purely environmental conditions. So uh, I tend to be chronically late. Someone who uh, want, wanted to be judgmental about me being late would put uh, something on my character. I'm late because I think I'm more important to everybody than anybody else in the meeting, whereas I think I got hung up in traffic or there was something really interesting. I was reading on a blog and I didn't quite get out of the house in time or whatever. But uh, the, the point is, uh, when you're fighting and when you have differences, uh, be mindful of the fact that not putting out the garbage is not necessarily attributable only to someone's character. They're lazy. Uh, at the same time, when you think about your own mistakes, it isn't just because uh, you uh, were busy doing homework with the kids, and that's why you forgot to do it, or something about your environment. Yep. Uh, let me just, before we close, because we're close to the time, do anybody have any questions that we could briefly answer? All right, great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, grateful for your grace in um, all of our lives, um, how you became man, um, how you walked a life in Galilee that gave us an example of how a human being can, in fact, put the interest of others ahead of himself, how we can live selflessly as opposed to our natural condition of selfishly. Lord, we pray that that grace would abound in all of our relationships, be it husbands and wives, be it parents and children, be it in the workplace, that we would be able to model the life that Jesus lived and the legacy that he left for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.